Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is part two of our Explore series. Guest speaker, Pastor Chad Graves from the Compass Church in Batesville, Arkansas, challenges us to explore the vision that God has for our lives. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. I want to talk this morning through the Psalms and um, over these last few years, I've just loved studying through the Psalms and um, learning the context of the Psalms. And so this book, the Psalms are, are prayers that we would just cry out to God uh, through all kinds of seasons of life. And they're just saturated with all kinds of emotion. And so I like, like one of my favorites is Psalm 19. And Psalm 19, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So he's just um, kind of marveling at creation from, you know, the sun sets, the sun rises, the, um, the stars, all of it. And just say, God, everything screams of your goodness, right? All of this glory in the earth. And then a little further down in that psalm, he goes from general revelation, which is kind of creation screaming that God is there and his glory, to specific revelation, which is scripture. And in verse 7 of Psalm 19, he says, The law of the Lord is perfect. That is the word of God, the scripture. And he uses four descriptors in there. He says, reviving the soul making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, and enlightening the eyes. And so I wanted to just kind of come in this morning, and my prayer is that it would, that the Word of God this morning as we look into it, that you would allow it to stir or revive your spirit, that you would allow it to bring wisdom into areas of your life that you need direction and that you would that God would rejoice the heart in the scripture this morning. So this is my prayer. And you know there's about 76 of the psalms are associated with David. About a third of the psalms are um, unknown who the author is. Um, there's some psalms that are written by the sons of Korah, which I love. Um, the sons of Korah, I don't know if you know this story in the Old Testament, but Korah had rebelled against God and uh, God's man, God's people, the leadership. And as a result, uh, the, he had been a worship leader in the service of God. And they, he was banned. His children were banned. They, their whole group, because of their instigating, uh, it was kind of a consequence to all, the whole, the descendants of Korah, and so um, they could only be door greeters. They could not lead worship. They couldn't be on the stage because of kind of the problems that had been uh, occurred. And so they were only able to stand on the outside and look in to what God was doing. And so they began to write songs. And the sons of Korah, you can look there. And those songs are all about longing for the presence of God. And so they're the ones who write, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And uh, I love the story 
and how God worked about in the sons of Korah and how when King David came along, he restored them and brought them back. In fact, uh, I believe he allowed them to carry the Ark of the Covenant back in and they marched back in and they were restored. Of course, David was this messianic symbol, this symbol of Christ that would come and that we were the sons of Korah, banished out uh, because our father's sin and then uh, we could only long to enter in, but then eventually God sent uh, Jesus and he now allows us to be brought back into the presence of God and we can sing again. And so the Psalms are just so dripping with gospel uh, imagery and illusion. But what I want to focus in this morning is the select group of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. <laughs> it starts in Psalm 120 and it goes through uh, 133. And uh, these are the Psalms that they would sing these were kind of traveling songs, and they would sing these songs when they were heading back. They would sing them when they were going back to Jerusalem, to Zion, to uh, the, the Feast of the Tabernacle. So the Feast of the Tabernacle was this kind of incredible tailgate party they had every year um, that they would just go and worship and uh, kind of have their feel. It was, uh, I think Fayetteville understands what tailgate partying is all about, right? Um, and it was just really a remarkable time to celebrate that God tabernacles with us. And, and that is God's presence. Uh, what a scandal it is, but God comes and he hangs out with us, us sinners. And they would marvel at the tabernacling of God, that God is with us, not just for us, but with us. And then they would come also sometimes, uh, you know, every year they'd come to Passover. And Passover was another celebration that, where they would come and God delivers us. God um, covers our sin. And uh, God has made a way. There's a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so you've got this beautiful uh, worship service that they would come to. The diaspora, that is, those that were dispersed and, and all over, they would pilgrim back into Jerusalem uh, during <laughs> Passover and they would just worship God and remember uh, who they were and what God had done. And of course they did Yom Kippur too, they, uh, that time of uh, repentance. So these different times, the children of God, the Israelites would uh, <coughs> make their way back for significant festivals, significant moments in Jerusalem. And, and you can just imagine the fun and the joy and the camaraderie. And, the, and that's one of these Psalms, it's like, oh, it's so good to dwell with the people of God in unity, right? That's one of the Psalms that they... So what you have is the first Psalm, Psalm 20, is like, hey, this place sucks. Let's get out of here and go back home. That's basically the Psalm. Okay, um, so it's just the, the Psalm 20, uh, everybody around us are heathens, let's get back to Jerusalem, right? So that's the first Psalm. Then the next Psalm, they're trekking along. I don't know, did you sing songs in the car when you were a kid? Did your family, were they hokey and cheesy like that, where they would sing songs? Or did you used to go to church camp and you'd sing songs, you know, church camp songs, uh, that kind of stuff? 
uh, we did. We had, I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You know, that kind of stuff. We, we would sing these songs and they're kind of like the Macarena song. They get in your head and then they never leave, right? And they, they just drive you crazy sometimes. Well, these psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, are traveling songs. And you just get this picture of a mom, a dad, the kids. And as they're leaving, Psalm 20 is the first song that they sing. And then when they get on their way and they're driving along and they look at the mountains and they see the mountains and they see those high places where there were worshipers worshiping false worshipers and they would say, um, we look up to the hills, from, but where does our help come from? It doesn't come from the high places. It comes from the Lord. And they would sing that song. And then they go a little longer and they'd sing a song. Man, God is so good. He's, he's seen us through another year. Right, We've, we're here. We're going back to the Feast of the Tabernacle. We're going to see all your cousins and and all the friends, and and we're going to be and and whew, we made it through another year. Um, and then you get to a psalm that I want to look at today, and it's Psalm 126 is where we're going to be. And um, this psalm is one of my favorites. Uh, over the last few years, I've just marveled at it and. In, quoted over and over in my mind. And this psalm has got two divisions. The first is about how God has been faithful. And so it's looking back and just considering the goodness and faithfulness of God. And the second is looking forward in light of God's faithfulness. God's going to be faithful. And we by faith are people of faith and know that he's going to be faithful. And so you have this this kind of Two divisions in this Psalm 126. And in this, it's a lot of times the Psalms, when we read them, we can know that they're making some sort of historical reference or allusion. So you have Psalms where throughout King David's life, where he wrote a song specifically about a moment that he was going through. And so when you're reading the Psalms, if you're studying your Bible, one of the best things to do to understand a Psalm and to understand a Bible verse is to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, to use Scripture to give you the context of Scripture. And so that way you can understand what is being said in the Scripture. Well, this Scripture, when you're looking at it, one of the first things it says is, uh, and we can look it up, and I've got it right here, Psalm 126 and verse 1, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those that dreamed. Well, so that's pushing you back to Ezra. Uh, And when God took the children of Israel that were in captivity and he released them from captivity and they were allowed to go back to their homeland, to Jerusalem, back to Zion. And that specific historical moment, uh, if you know much about the children of Israel, they had been taken off into Babylon, uh, into captivity. And they were in captivity for years. And many of the people that were allowed to come back to Jerusalem were, had been born in captivity. Um, and so you have this story. And, and, of course, the history behind it is that... Um, Cyrus the Great, this pagan Persian king, uh, came into Babylon and overthrew it 
and took control of it. He had gone from uh, Iran to uh, over to, he had been in Turkey, modern day Turkey, and over through it. He, had, he, he kind of had taken over the world. And Cyrus the Great comes into Babylon and he releases those Jewish captive exiles. He releases them and gives them the freedom, not just the freedom, but he also gives them the finances to go back to Jerusalem and build their temple. So it's kind of an amazing moment. Can you imagine the king of Iran wanting to help Israel rebuild their temple? In light of this week, it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? What's also amazing about our Bible is that if you look over in Isaiah 44 and 45, 150 years before Cyrus was born and did what he did, the prophet of God said that years from now, there'll be a man, a messianic figure, that will free God's people and give them this. And he named the prophet 150 years before Cyrus was born. He named his name. So it's incredible prophecy that's going on in this. And so when we get to this moment, that's why I think you can say that the children of God, as they're singing, they're, we were, it was like a dream. We could not believe what God did. In our history, it's, it's unbelievable. And so uh, this moment here of this song is, God, you have just been so incredible to us and you have freed us from captivity and you've opened up so much opportunity for us. And we know it like the Chronicle verse, the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro all over the earth. He's, God had his eye on us during all of this and all of this captivity, all these issues, and God um, showed himself strong on our behalf. And so it kind of begs the question when you hear a song like this, how many times is God going to have to deliver us for us to eventually be convinced that he's going to keep his word? Amen? How many times are we going to have to go through this over and over and over again and, and not be so worried all the time. I don't know. Are you worriers? Anybody? Got any self-proclaimed worriers, right? Uh, anxious at heart? Um, I, I used to, in my 20s, I was not a very anxious person. 30s, not very anxious. And then all of a sudden, when I hit my 40s, I became more anxious. I, I guess it was because I started thinking about stuff. Uh, I, think, I think probably in my 20s and 30s, I was just not very thoughtful. I was just not a very considerate person. Um, and I didn't really think through stuff. And then as I got older, I started thinking through stuff and I began to be anxious and worry. Um, when I knew early days with uh, Jeremy and our friendship, um, you know, those days were fun days. I was completely oblivious. <laughs> but it was such good days and so much fun. Um, and Jack, you know, Jack was with me in Monticello when I was there and just good times. But as you get older, if you're not careful to be full of faith, you can begin to price yourself out of being used by God because you worry. 
and you just you consider all the th- cost and all the things that it's going to require out of you. And you have to ask yourself, am I willing for God to do it again? Am I willing to put myself out there again and let God use me? Well, this psalm is so good. It makes me think of A.W. Tozer's quote. Anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. And anything God has ever done with anyone, he can do with you. Isn't that a great quote? God shut the mouths of lions with Daniel. He can do the same thing in your life. God um, split the Red Sea with Moses, and he can, he can certainly deal with the obstacles of our lives. Uh, all the way through, God was present with his people, working about his plan. And so the next verse is the one I just uh, I love. And I can say full-heartedly, he says uh, in, verse, in the next part of the psalm, Verse 2, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Like other people sometimes are the first one, right, to say to, our, to us in our lives, do you not realize how God's been good to you? <laughs> right? Sometimes we don't see it ourselves. We can't see it in the mirror. But other people, the other nations around Israel were just scratching their head like, oh my gosh, look how good God's been to these people. Look how God's opened the door. Look how God used a pagan king like Cyrus to, to fund all this stuff. Such, such a moment. And he says, our, our mouths were filled with laughter. We couldn't believe our eyes what God has done, what he is doing. Like us. I like to tell this story. And you can kind of learn a little bit about my personality by this story. Um, A few years ago, me and my buddy, Jeremy, we went, uh, another Jeremy, uh, we went to a pastor's conference down in Orlando. And uh, we decided to go to Universal Studios. And there's right at the gate of Universal Studios, there's a a city walk, a lot of restaurants. And so uh, we went down there to eat dinner and uh, when we got down there, I said, Jeremy, let's go down to the gate and just look at Universal Studios. I know it's closed, but let's just look at it. <clears throat> well, we get down there, and there's just this huge kind of parade of people that we're in the middle of. And the doors are flung wide open. And there's this lady, and she's stamping everybody's hands. And she reaches out, and we're like, sure. <laughs> she stamps our hands. Well, unbeknownst to us, there was an Intel Corporation um, conference. All of Intel had come to Universal Studio, and they'd rented out the whole place. And, uh, and they had tables with hors d'oeuvres. They had drinks. They had everything. They had all the rides going. And me and my buddy Jeremy go in there, and we ride the Hulk over and over we, we eat, we drink, we laugh. Our, our, I mean, we're just, it's just, we had the best time. Now, my friend Jeremy, he was nervous about it. He sweat like a terrorist for at least the first 30 minutes, right? 
He was so nervous because he thought, like, but I thought, what's the worst they're going to do to us? They're going to kick us out. That's it, you know. So anyway, we go there and we have this moment. And uh, I, I really believe that's the way the grace of God feels. We know we don't belong. <laughs> right? When we get to heaven, it's going to be a scandal. Nobody's going to strut into heaven like they belong there. We're, God, somewhere along the way, God's going to stamp over our lives redeemed. Right? And it's not going to be because of what, because of what we did. It's going to be just purely by grace that we're saved, that we're included, that the doors have been flung open and we're invited in. And we're going to eat and we're going to laugh and we're going to have our fill because of the grace of God. And I think that's the way the children of Israel, when they were released out of captivity, they just couldn't hardly believe what God their good fortunes, what God had done in their lives. And so I love this psalm. The scripture said, says that we can draw with confidence, we can go with confidence in because uh, this, this throne of grace has been made available to us. A few years ago, I was studying in Ephesians, and it made me, I, I'm kidding on a word. Only really one time in the Bible is the word atheist used. It's, called, it's used in Greek called atheos. And I wanted to point out something in this moment about that. The biblical idea of atheism is not believing that there's no God the biblical idea is the assumption that God is somehow not with you. And so in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, he says, You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires in the body and the mind. And he goes on and he says, uh, remember that you were at times separated from Christ, alienated from him, the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, atheos, or without God in the world. But now Christ, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Which is a reference to the veil in the temple being rent from top to bottom when Jesus paid the price on the cross, right? So God, through Christ, is reconciling us to himself. He is bringing us home is what's going on. And, and we are not atheists. We are not without God. We are the people of God. And I think that's what's going on in this psalm is that they had been in captivity. They had been 
what some had felt like God had given up on them or God wasn't with them. They didn't feel like they had the presence and the anointing of God on their lives. And they were in captivity. They had gone through a, a season of separation out of, Israel, out, of, um, out of Zion. And now God has released them and they are now entering back in. And as they're singing, they're singing. And, and, and look at verse 3. I love it. It goes from people saying, the Lord has really blessed them, to the next verse, them saying, and I like it, the Lord has done great things for us. And we're glad. The Lord has done great things for us. And we're glad. This is the gospel story. Isn't We have done great things. It's, it's God initiated not us initiated. It's God at work. It's God, I love that Ephesians verse. It's God who works in us to will and do according to his good pleasure. And so this moment of joy, as they look back, God has brought us out of captivity. God has blessed us among the nations. And God has been so good to us. And we are so glad in God. We are so Glad in God. Now, I just want to interject something into this moment. Not everybody returned. There were people in Babylon that decided not to return because the trip cost too much. Because the work ahead was going to be grueling. Because they had gotten to a point of a level of comfort in Babylon that was very sophisticated and metropolitan and nice. Because they had developed a certain status culturally in Babylon. For some of them that stayed in Babylon, Babylon was all they ever knew. They had never seen Zion they had not known what it was like to worship in the temple. They had not really been assimilated. They had been assimilated into a Babylonian culture, a very worldly culture. And so when Cyrus opens it up, there were only about 50,000 Jews that returned to Jerusalem. This remnant of Jews, this group of believers that they saw a city, as the Hebrew writer says, a city of God. They had not experienced it, but they were persuaded of it and they confessed it in Hebrews. The Hebrew writer says, and they embraced it. And so this is what they were. They were a people that were looking at their past and acknowledging that God had been faithful. And they were a people now that were postured towards their future. And it was going to take, it was going to exact a cost out of them. And that's where this psalm shifts into the last three verses. <clears throat> Listen to what he says in Psalm 26, 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like these streams down in the south. These streams were 
uh, there was a very barren land and sometimes God would send the rain and it would fill up these, these uh, um, caverns. And then the caverns would then spill out into the springs and the springs would then flow into streams. And then the streams would run out and throughout the land and fill up the ponds and the lakes. And then all the habitat would come and then the green would begin to grow and everything would flourish again. Uh, I love this. I don't know if you ever watch these uh, National Geographic stuff, but there's a guy over in East Texas, uh, David uh, Bamberger, I think that's his name. And uh, he owned a chicken restaurant franchise. And as he got older, he sold it all. And he moved back, he moved over to East Texas and he bought 6,000 acres of land, barren East Texas land. And what he did was he began to research it and he realized that they had put trees on the land that were not indigenous to the land. So these trees, cedar trees, had begun to cover the ground and kill the grass. And then that created a problem where the grass, where when the rain came, the rain would not hit the ground, percolate into the ground, fill up the caverns. And so all of the whole area had dried up. And with, with no streams and no anything, then uh, no birds, no, and it was just a barren land. So he bought this 6,000 acres and he goes in there and he cuts all the trees and he researches and he gets the seed of the original kind of the grasses that were, that were there before and he replants grass all throughout that 6,000 acres and then when the rain comes, it, it hits the ground and it percolates into the ground instead of running off and then the caverns fill and then there's multiple springs and rivers and ponds and all this stuff, all this life comes back. Well, this is what's going on here. This is what's going on here. There's these people of God that in light of God's faithfulness in this verse, they, they say, God, do it again. Bring back the vitality. Bring back the life. My little boy, Ethan, when we were, uh, he's younger, we'd get in the pool and I would pick him up in the pool. I'd throw him and he'd get into the deep and then he'd swim back and he'd say, do it again, Dad. And I'd throw him. <laughs> and he would come back. And by the time I was over, I had spaghetti arms, right? I just couldn't even hardly throw him again. He was a chunk of a kid anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and, but he would want me to do it over and over and over. And it makes me think of this. Um, Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase of this verse, listen to what he says. I'll read the psalm in Eugene Peterson's message. He says, it seems like a dream, too good to be true, when God returned the Zion's exiles. We laughed and we sang and we couldn't believe our good fortunes. And we were the talk of the nations. And God was so wonderful to them, they said. And God was wonderful to us and we are a happy people. And so now, God, do it again. Bring the rains to our drought-stricken lives so that... And so those who plant their crops in despair will shout yes at the harvest. So those that went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. And so this is the, the, the moment in this psalm, the do it again moment. This is the moment 
not just in this psalm, but it's in the moment in the history of the children of Israel that seemed to come over and over where they could just settle there in Babylon and say, good enough. They could just settle and not be up for the next challenge. Because let's just, let's just be clear that the people of God, if they were going to enter back in, they were going to have to roll up their sleeves they were have to give their lives for the cause. And here they are singing with joy. Do it again, God. Bring the rain. Bring the flourishing. Bring the growth. Bring the blessing. Restore the land. Restore our lives. Restore the worship Restore the people of God. Raise up a new people of God that will love you and know you and marvel in you. Do it again, God. Save the lost. Bring home the prodigal. Do it again, God. Plant more churches. Do it again, God. Forgive the sinner. Take the one who is far from God and draw him near again. Do it again, God. Take the one who has no heart for God and take the heart of stone out and put the heart of flesh in and have him be tender in spirit and love the Lord his God with all his heart and all his strength and all his might. Do it again, God. This last week I was at the hospital. I'm a chaplain now and I walked into this room and I ask a question. Typically, I say, hey, what you in the hospital for? And this young man, around 20, he, uh, he said, well, yesterday I tried to kill myself. And so he talked a while and told me about how he had just made a mess of his life. And he was despairing. And he just ruined relationships. And he just wanted to die. And I said, well, yesterday you tried to kill yourself, but today you woke up. Are you glad to be alive? And he kind of sighed. He said, yes, I am. I'm, I want to live. And I said, well, I think yesterday you tried to take your life. Today I want to encourage you to give your life. Give it to the Lord. And he said, you know, I've never been sincere about what you're talking about. I never have. I said, he said, but I am now. He said, I'm ready. And as he began to pray, it was like a dam had broken. And it just began to flood. The words that came out of his mouth were so passionate and so sincere and so honest as he cried out to God to save him, to take his drought-stricken life and bring the rain, to take his barrenness and bring growth, to take what is dead and bring it back to life. And I want to I encourage you this morning to pray those kinds of prayers in your own life. You may have become discouraged and think, God's not going to do anything. It doesn't matter how much I pray. God's not going to fix this marriage. God's not going to fix these kids. God's not going to fix this world. God's not going to fix me. 
Do not lose hope. God is faithful. And as these singers sing and these people of faith cry out to the Lord, they say, Lord, restore. Do it again. Do what only you can do, Lord. We can't do it. Bring the rain. Enliven us again. Breathe into us the Spirit of God again. Stir our affections again for the things of God. Give us a holy hunger to to begin to reach out as a church. God has not just drawn Pathway Church here to be a holy huddle. God is stirring in you what He's always stirred in His people. An ambitious spirit to take more ground for the kingdom of God. But just remember, in order for His kingdom to come, yours has got to go. You've got to lay it on the altar. You've got to let some things be left behind if God's going to use you. With just the shirts on their backs, these captives, these exiles, they loaded up everything they could and they started walking and they started heading back where God wanted them. And these are the Psalms of Ascent. Every year they would sing these songs and they would remember who they were. They'd get beaten up throughout the year. They'd get bruised by life. But over and over they were a worshiping people. And they would want to be reminded over and over that God tabernacles with us. That God covers our sin that God loves us and forgives us and will never forsake us as Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 24 says the one who called us is faithful and he will do it and so in verse 6 those that sow in tears will reap in joy just imagine these captives going back to the land now Persia was known for having these beautiful gardens. We get our word paradise from the Babylonian Persian language. And it's really just this horticultural kind of term of flourishing. And, um, and the Babylonians were very skilled at this. And so you can imagine the children of Israel returning with bags of seed. Right? Bags of seed. Because they were going to start planting crops. And they were going to take what they had enjoyed in Babylon in terms of the fruits and the substances and the things like that. And they were going to go back to a barren place. And they were going to, they were going to say, Lord, do it again. Take this desolate place and bring it alive. Do you know that that's true? I had a friend of mine tell me this, that if we only had one apple, we could take the seed out of that apple and we could plant that seed and eventually we could have an orchard. 
And eventually out of that orchard, we could have enough seeds to populate the whole earth with apples. That's the power of a seed. And did you know that if you were the only Christian on this planet, if there were no other Christians but you, and I'm talking not the bold, boisterous personality in this room, but I'm talking about the most introverted person in this room. I'm talking about the one who you can't even hardly tell the waiter at the restaurant that you got the wrong order. Okay? It's not your nature. Do you understand that if you were the only Christian in this world, that the seed of the gospel in you is enough that if you would share that seed, that it would begin to populate around you and that literally out of you, the gospel could bring forth and populate the whole earth with Christians. God could use you that way. These are the people of God. They are heading back to Zion full of faith that God is able to do that. And so this morning I just come to remind you who you are. I like this moment in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, we have this confidence. And then in verse 39, he says, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who are, have faith and preserve their souls. He said, that's not who we are. We're not those who shrink back. We're not those who have no future. We're not those who are alone we're the people of God. We're the people of faith. We're the people who know that God tabernacles with us wherever we go. We're the people who know how the story ends. Amen? We know how this ends. And so the Hebrew writer says, remember who you are. Don't be overcome. But by faith. Overcome through Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. And thank you, Lord, that you do this over and over and over. And like me, throwing Ethan, I get tired. But Lord, you don't. You never tire of restoring. You, we, when we fall down and we mess up and we blow it, and then we come back to the throne of grace and we have our head hanged low, hung low and we kind of almost treat you, God, like we would, if it was us and we were you. Almost like that we put you out, that we've surprised you in a disappointing way, that we're just a disappointment how much we stumble and fall and struggle. And we wonder whether it's even worth it trying to get up again. But God, you do not tarry. You do not exhaust. You are not grieved. You're loving and you're gracious. 
and you're quick to forgive. And so, Lord, we come and we ask God, do it again. Revive us, O Lord. Restore us. Reconcile us, Lord. Raise up a people bold and full of hope and full of faith for your name's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We encourage you to take some next steps this week. We would like you to write down three things on a note card or something that you can post on a mirror, desk, or somewhere else in your house. Let it be a reminder of your spiritual goals. One, today's date. Two, a spiritual goal for the next six months. And three, a spiritual goal for the next three years. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.